Geek Out Loud is brought to you by Tops. Rediscover Tops with the Journey to the Last Jedi trading card set now. Available at retailers and card shops. And make sure you check out Tops.com for all the latest news, sets, and merchandise from the name in card collecting. Tops. That was a terrible, terrible read. I should be ashamed of myself. I'm, I'm kind of in my head now about I feel like I sound weird in my headphones. I'm sorry. My apologies to Tops. We're brought to you by Tops. We're glad to be brought to you by Tops. Let's just, let's do this. Well, on this episode of Geek Out Loud, you may think that we're getting ready to talk about a certain trailer uh, that was released just recently, but nah, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. We'll see what happens. On your safe place to geek out, this is the Geek Out Loud Podcast. Hello again, everyone. Whoa, that's hot mic. Hot, hot mic there. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out on the internet. Whoa, no! Oh my gosh! Everything's wrong! Stop it! Just stop! Everybody stop! Good night alive. Uh, I am coming in on a hot mic here and have no idea why it's so hot all of a sudden. The gain was open. The gain was way open on that, and I apologize if I blew out anyone's... um, ears that is that is my bad i feel like i should start over i feel like we've done i've done terrible here and i should completely start over and bring this back in from the top that's that's kind of how i'm feeling uh here all of a sudden and so um i mean it's just been a big mess it's been a big mess right out of the gate i don't know this is probably the most unprofessional job I've ever... I can't say that. I can't say it's the most unprofessional job I've ever done. Um, let's see. I'm caught in a quandary now because, as you know, I don't edit. So, okay. Geek Out Loud is brought to you by Tops. Rediscover Tops with the Journey to the Last Jedi trading card set right now. Available at retailers and card shops everywhere. And make sure you check out Tops.com for all the latest news, sets, and merchandise from the name in card collecting. Rediscover Tops.
on this episode of Geek Out Loud. You may think we're doing this because there was this trailer drop just recently. Eh, no, we're doing it because we love to geek out together. And that's what we're going to do on this episode of your safe place to geek out, the Geek Out Loud podcast. again everyone and welcome to geek out loud your safe place to geek out on the internet my name is steve glosson glad to be along with you and you know they call me one take glosson for a reason we do all this in one take it's 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 completely what you're hearing right now is completely off the cuff we never messed up it, it doesn't have to be redone ever so that take that all you pros out there that think you're as professional as i am you got nothing on one take glosson I don't know why I'm coming in so hot. I don't know why I'm so angry with um with all of the with all the two takers out there, but you know <laughs> that's for Scott Riven. Scott knows that I'm a one take Glosson. No. Uh it's good to have everyone along with us. We welcome you to Geek Out Loud. Excited about this show because there's a lot of fun things happening in the world of geekdom right now. In fact, one of those fun things I mentioned on a previous show, I'm looking at it right now. Uh it's called Ultimate Marvel. And uh, it, one of the contributing authors to this is our friend, friend of the show, uh, Adam Bray. Uh, in fact, he's got top billing on this thing, but I, uh, that appears to be uh, due to his name being first in alphabetical order. However, we're going to say top billing goes to Adam Bray on Ultimate Marvel. It is a fantastic book. It's in, it goes in chronological order of the Marvel Universe in the comics, and... Just uh, just about everything that you could want to know about Marvel, from the characters to uh, the buildings and the hideouts and the headquarters and the heroes, the villains, and even even the vehicles are mentioned here uh, in this. And one one particular thing that I love is a two page spread here. Uh, it's a key moment, key moment. Doom victorious. Here's a quote: "The Beyonder is dead." Now the supreme being in the universe is Doom. And that's Dr. Doom himself saying that. That's from the first Secret Wars, uh, when the mysterious cosmic entity, the Beyonder, assembled Earth's most powerful heroes and villains for the ultimate showdown. Dr. Doom sensed a great opportunity. The Beyonder brings two groups of superheroes and supervillains to a patchwork planet he constructed called Battleworld. Uh, I'll go ahead and finish the story without reading. While this is going on, uh, Doom... Instead of trifling with fighting all the uh, all the heroes and, and getting in, caught in that fray because he's above that, he's Doom, um, he figures out a way to steal the Beyonder's powers. And he does so briefly, and, and then it's on. Uh, the original Secret Wars is one of my favorite ever uh, stories in comicdom, and I would encourage you, if you ever have the opportunity... Uh, to check it out. Um, but yeah, so we're, there's all kinds of fun stuff happening in Geekdom right now. 
that's just one of those things. That's one of those books you can just pick up and flip through any time and find something fun, and we may just do that. You never know here on Geek Out Loud. Uh, we want to thank our featured supporter on this episode at patreon.com slash geekoutloud, Andalyn Ferrezzo. If Andalyn was a fictional role-playing game character, then we'd be talking the highest level of wizardry one can achieve. But since the Goliverse is real, uh, we're talking real-world stuff. Andalyn possesses the powers of the cosmos in a way that to uh, us mere mortals looks like magic. But it's really the elemental forces of the universe coursing through Ferrezzo's body to thwart evil and protect the Earth from threats at home and abroad. <clears throat> My voice cracked there. Uh, it's Geek Out Loud, finally going through puberty. Um, that's our feature supporter, Andalyn Ferrezzo, and we want to thank Andalyn for uh, the support there. Of, uh, you can support as well at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. If you want to support the site in other ways, you can do so through the links you'll find at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. Right now, you can purchase tickets. Uh, there are links to purchase uh, the Last Jedi tickets from the Fandango um, at both sites, geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. In fact, uh, Fandango is running an offer right now. Um, with uh, If you purchase tickets now, pre-order tickets, you'll get a free special poster while supplies last. Uh, the I'll read the fine print. Shipping not included. Terms apply. So uh, get over there to Fandango through the links that you'll find at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com and uh, get your tickets to The Last Jedi. Snag that free poster. And uh, we thank you for your support of the Goliverse. What else have we got here before we get into all the fun stuff? Um, that's what I see. So let's jump into some emails. Right, before we get into the emails, a quick trading card reading. This comes from uh, the 1990 Series 1 set of the Marvel trading cards. It is Famous Battles, Hulk versus Spider-Man. This is from Hulk number 349, published in November of 1988. It took place in Las Vegas, Nevada. Spider-Man crossed paths with the Hulk while chasing Alpha and Charlie, members of the cyborg mercenary group called Warzone. Spider-Man's actions enraged the Hulk, seeking to teach Spider-Man a lesson he'd never forget. The Hulk forced Spider-Man to fight him. The battle itself ended in a draw, but the Hulk accomplished his goal. He had taught Spider-Man a bitter lesson about how useless the power of a superhero can be. Now, this is when Hulk was gray. This is when most people thought he was dead, and this is when he had taken the name Mr. Fix-It, a leg breaker there in, uh, in Vegas. Just prior to this issue in 348, the Hulk fought uh, the Absorbing Man and ended up making the Absorbing Man absorb some rock, uh, beat the tar out of him, and threw him into a river. And we thought the Absorbing Man would never be seen again. However, he was seen, and I believe the next time he showed up was Quasar number 6. If memory serves, this was during the Acts of Vengeance storyline. The Absorbing Man uh, crawled out of the river all muddy and everything, and um, Quasar ended up fighting him. And he tried to absorb Quasar's energy bands. And uh, as we learned in the first issue of Quasar, you can't try to harness that energy for yourself. You just a lot of times have to ride the wave of it. And uh, Absorbing Man ended up blowing up. He would come back later, though. Um, 
and I don't quite know when that was, but um, I'm sure you can wiki it and find out about it. The issue after this particular issue of The Incredible Hulk was issue number 350. It was a continuation of issue number of, of Fantastic Four, issue number 320, where the Hulk fought the Thing, and this was the Gray Hulk versus the new, more powerful Thing. Thing became even more rocky and actually kind of spiky uh, all over his body, and, and he also, thinking the Hulk was dead, did not realize who he was fighting, and uh, actually beat the Hulk in uh, Fantastic Four 320. But as he beat the Hulk, uh, lo and behold, the Green Hulk showed up. And so Hulk 350 continues that story, and it's the thing fighting this Green Hulk that ends up just being a robot that was made by the Eternals. Uh, the Eternals is a, uh, is a pretty powerful race of people. Um, they're not quite mutants, not quite inhumans. They're a little bit something more, but they're not quite celestials or gods or that sort of thing. So um, anyhow, this he the thing ends up tearing this Hulk robot apart, and that's when the actual Hulk attacks him again and begins to outthink him, uh, sends him running all over uh, Central Park as the Hulk jumps from place to place, and then uh, actually almost drowns the thing. And as the thing crawls almost lifeless up to the uh, shore of the lake, uh, the Hulk's standing there and thing says how how did you move so fast and hulk says i jumped and the thing recognizes his voice and realizes that it is indeed the hulk that he'd fought for so many years i have found myself in a geeky loop we're going to talk more about the hulk momentarily um based on some news that has come out recently uh, about what marvel's plans for the hulk actually are mike dowell though chimes in he says i agree with you steve i figured i was missing something this is all about death note I figured I was missing something because I really like Death Note, even though everything I've read about is how bad it is. Uh, the anime version is also on Netflix. Halfway, I'm halfway through it. The story seems different, but not so much. And I like the idea of changing a few things and having a similar but not the same story. I'm intrigued at the stories that could happen in that world. And that's from Mike Dowell. Mike, I, you know, what's interesting about anything that's an adaptation from some other medium uh, in this instance, a movie that is adapted from, um, I believe it was initially adapted from some, I, I believe that what came first, and, and I'll be corrected, I'm sure, uh, if I'm wrong, um, I believe what came first was the manga manga uh, books about uh, Death Note, and then maybe this anime that you speak of, of which you speak. But, um, but what's interesting is anytime, and you know how we are as fans of stuff, when anything um comes against you know goes slightly askew from what we are familiar with and love and we kind of really get our panties in bunches as as fans and so it's interesting that you know I've done that about comic book movies in the past I've done that about um well mostly comic book movies in the past uh GI Joe was one that I kind of was irked by some of the 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 deviation from the original stories from the comics and and even the cartoon to an extent um funnily enough the transformers never bothered me the way they deviated from some of the original source material and um the hobbit uh, was another one that kind of not that it deviated but that it actually incorporated a lot of stuff from some of the appendices of those uh, those books the lord of the rings books and i just felt like it was too much 
So it's funny how we we, we respond to this stuff. Uh, but Death Note has actually become this thing that a lot of people are talking about here on the show. Mike Dunn says, I listened to your review of Death Note on the latest goal and was inspired to check it out. As generally, uh, if you find something to like in a movie, it's usually worth checking out. I've noticed all the hate it's getting, and I tried to convince myself it isn't awesome. It isn't awesome. But that whole end sequence with Chicago's I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love rocked my socks off too. Right? That's the thing. That's where I really come down on, on this whole on, on this whole thing is, um, is is there were just some music choices within this, and there were some character choices and some acting choices that were just really um, intriguing to me, to say the least. But I'm telling you what the, the that end scene where it's all just kind of going downhill. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but they're up on a Ferris wheel that's being destroyed, falling apart, if we didn't stay and where it should be some incredibly dramatic music, you know, don't, 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 but don't, don't. Um, this is what begins to play. Everybody sing. I don't want to live without your love. Jar Jar. I love my face and not alone. Misa cannot make it in my life. If, I, if Misa has to make it on my own. Um, he goes on to say, Yes, the acting has been uneven in spots, and it does get a bit convoluted. But overall, it kept me riveted through the curious and... Uh, it kept me riveted throughout and curious what direction this strange story would go in. It works best if you just accept that it is happening in a wacky comic book slash anime-inspired world that bears little resemblance to reality. I love the killer soundtrack. I loved Willem Dafoe doing his Green Goblin voice from Spider-Man. I love the Smoking Man from X-Files as a conspiracy nut radio host. I love the random clips from Phantasm, though this movie is making it hard for me to hate it. I've never seen the anime, so I can't judge how faithful it is or not. But I definitely want to check out some of the original source material now. It's a shame they probably won't do a sequel after all of the negative backlash. I also have to say it's actually pretty gutsy or crazy for Netflix to do this kind of revenge fantasy story involving a high schooler carrying around literally a hit list in this day and age. Uh, so I guess points for that too. If you like this one, I would recommend the same director's movie, The Guest, which may still be on Netflix, which is his take on 80s action and John Carpenter's flicks which has a cool soundtrack, too. They're just seen very similar to the dance at the end of Death Note, which involves a high school gym decorated for a Halloween party. Anyway, keep up the good work, Steve. Goal for life, and that's M. Dunn, old friend Mike, and he's M. Dunn in the chat when we listen live at Mixer.com slash Goalaverse. Thank you, Mike. Some land in flowers, some land in the bay. Um, let's see, what else have we got here? Uh, Mike Downs says, Hello, Steve. First of all, let me say I really dig your Geek Out Loud podcast. It's a, very, it's a joy every time a new episode is released. Well, thanks, Mike. On the most recent episode, young Ethan gave an excellent review of It. I must say up front that I've not seen It yet. <laughs> see what you did there. I've not seen a horror movie, uh, a horror film in 20 years or so, so I won't. I just won't. Yet I'm going to see this film. Clowns and dolls are my kryptonite. Both usually leave me running the other way screaming. My wife enjoys Spring, the Annabelle trailer, 
uh, springing the Annabelle trailer on me when I walk in the room just to watch me squeal. Bless her black little heart. I'm going to see this film because the novel, it is one, it is one of the most profound coming-of-age stories ever. When Ethan likened it to Stand By Me, I was immediately pumping my fist. That's exactly how you felt when reading the novel. And it should, since Stephen King also wrote the novella, The Body, which Stand By Me is based on. On which Stand By Me is based. With it, King wrote an amazing story of these young kids who endured tremendous hardships, abuse, and bullying. They endured because they formed the Losers Club, which helped them survive their childhood and create bonds of friendship. And then King added in a creepy, scary clown that eats children regularly. Your typical coming-of-age story. And you chastised poor Ethan, going so far as to ask if he even knew what a coming-of-age story was. Erish dogpiled on that moment, by the way. I'm pleased by Ethan's review as it sounds like they might have to go at it. They might have uh, got it right this time. The Tim Curry TV It was awful. First of all, it had Richard Thomas, so I was out immediately. And then the ending was so botched that the creature Pennywise is a manifestation of. Turns out to be some weird space spider. It's just awful. King grew up in the 50s, so that was the setting for the novel. The director of the current film, It, grew up in the 80s, so it was updated to that time and will allow for present-day sequel. Love your show, and that's from Mike Downs out in Arlington, Texas. I've got to actually send this to uh, Eric so he can forward it to Ethan, so Ethan will have a little bit of vindication. Maybe we were a little bit tough on him. Um, it was just funny to hear someone mention you know, a horror movie being a coming-of-age story. Uh, I just, Especially knowing the kids, how young the kids are in this movie, and I was just like, eh. I don't know, but I still haven't seen it. I've heard, you know, good things, decent things about it. It's just not, horror is just not my genre. Um, Shane from Grand Rapids actually sent a link to onit.com slash Star Wars where he says, would these items get you excited to exercise? They've got kettlebells shaped like stormtroopers and Darth Vader. They've got a Han Solo yoga mat. And my answer to that is nothing's going to get me excited to exercise, Shane, as much as I need to. Uh, Karan Pandur uh, chimes in about Death Note. Again, this has sparked some conversation, ladies and gentlemen. He says, hey, Steve, I recently listened to your podcast discussing how the Death Note movie adaptation left you confused. I wonder if you've gathered more insights since. I personally haven't watched the movie yet since I'm a big fan of the anime and all the promotional material just look goofy to me. My girlfriend insists it's one of those so bad it's good movies and that it deviates from the source material enough that it's hardly recognizable. Which makes my question, why call it an adaptation at all? Why not make an original movie with new characters and say it's placed in the same universe? Well, because I think the minute... I think the premise of a death god and someone having the ability to control him based on that, if that's the premise of the anime, I think the minute you have that premise, no matter what you do with the characters or change up the story, if that's your premise, then everyone's going to know, oh, well, this is just like Death Note. They're you're, it, it's one of those, you know, dinged if you do, dinged if you don't. Because if they if they do the adaptation this way, they're going to be the super fans. are like, oh, this is terrible. This is horrible. I can't believe it. And if they don't, if they did, if they took the concept and did their own story, well, they're just ripping off Death Note. You know, they'd be that kind of thing. Um, the anime dealt with difficult questions that people might grapple with. Uh, with which people may grapple. Uh, what is justice? Is death a just punishment for a crime? How far can a person go to become a good guy before he becomes a bad guy? Does power over others ultimately corrupts one's own sense of justice? I wonder if it could, if I could talk you into watching it. It would be interesting to know the perspective of someone not exposed to the manga or anime beforehand. I may be wrong, but this form of, this is a form of media I haven't heard you explore yet. And you might be surprised by how much you enjoyed it. I certainly was. And that's uh, from Karan Pandur. Uh, hadn't heard from you in a while, I don't think, Karan. So it's good to have you uh, chime in. 
Um, this is, um, you know, I the anime thing has never been my bag outside of, um, you know, uh, Voltron, to be honest. Um, we used to, back in the day, back in the 80s, we called it Japanimation. And and that's what, like, Voltron and Transor Z. Uh, I, I actually never really got into Robotech, um, even though, you know, it, it reminded me a little bit, some of the commercials and stuff reminded me of of your Voltron and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, manga and anime have a distinct fan base that is so passionate about it. like all you know we we all get passionate about the things that we are of which we are fans i stopped myself there um but ultimately um you you know you have those those sectors of fandom that are very uber passionate uh, star wars is one of those doctor who and I don't mean Doctor Who fans who found Doctor Who with Matt Smith. I'm talking like your Whovians who go all the way back, you know, who are, you know, just immersed and in, in steeped in that in that mythology. Um, you know, for me, I'm a Doctor Who fan who was introduced through Christopher Eccleston. And I've gone back and watched one or two of the old episodes, but I'm like, oh, you know what, I'll just keep with the modern day stuff. And even I kind of fell out. Um, you know, Star Trek fans have always been labeled as being very passionate about stuff. But there's something about the um and it's not even it's not even a series within manga manga or anime. It's the it's it's almost the style and the style of storytelling that people become very very passionate about. Um you know that if a lot of times what you find is if someone's into one series they're going to be into two or three others just as passionately as the one and so i find that it's actually not even i don't even know if if manga manga is a genre it feels like it is but but the whole thing people are very very passionate about and that is kind of intimidating if you're a newbie kind of getting into that kind of stuff it's very intimidating um to to kind of dip your toe in the water uh, also, it, it, and I don't mean, I don't mean, I'm not making fun or belittling anything that anybody loves, but for me, manga manga has always seemed a bit edgier than I want it to be, you know, just from the outside, completely from the outside looking in. It's always seemed to have a bit more of a weird slant than I want it to have, um, and it just, it just seems... I don't know. I, it's intimidating to me to try to to try to dip my toes into that world because I, I know how passionate the fan base is, and 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 there's been enough times on this show where I have I feel like alienated certain fan bases that I don't need to alienate another. Um, and by certain fan bases, of course, I'm talking of Twilight and Star Trek, uh, because people generally can't take you know jokes about the stuff of which they're passionate. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at on that. Uh, but you know what, if, if someone can point me, I, you know, since that is on Netflix, it, it, what's it going to take 30 minutes to check out an episode, 
and see how I feel. I may do that. I may do that and come back because, but the thing I loved about that movie, the Death Note movie, is that it was so convoluted and so weird. And it was just, there was some gore that did not need to be there. And then it's like they ran out of gore money. And so it stopped being gory. And and I could not stop watching. It's like I realized how much time I was wasting and I couldn't stop watching. The, the, the one character that's like the world's greatest detective that's not Batman. By the way, speaking of Batman, maybe I should touch on Gotham momentarily. I may just do that. Uh, this is a show that I've never had a guilty pleasure before in my life, but this may be a guilty pleasure for me in Gotham. Talk about that momentarily. But I, I kept looking at that character. I'm like, this character's so weird, and I kind of want to know his origin. I want to know where he came from. I want to know what his story is. There were people that I did not want to see die that actually died. There were things that I was rooting for to happen that never happened, but I could not stop looking away. And even uh, Willem Dafoe's character that he voices and plays, you know, you, you kind of like, even though you don't want to like him. So, it, you know, I just, it, it sucked me in. I can't, but it's one of those things that I would never necessarily recommend to anyone um, because I recognize that I, I don't know that I enjoyed it for the right reasons. And, I, and I'm not a fan of watching things ironically at all i mentioned the world's greatest segments on batman which made me think of gotham i am caught up on gotham and you want to talk mixed emotions <clears throat> this is a show that I've, I've maintained for the now three plus years that it has been on the air that i don't think it ever quite really knew what it wanted to be the the over dramatic verbiage and lines that are that are delivered by people like the penguin um and and everything i i really it, it's always been kind of bothersome to me the the penguin edward nigma angle did not really pan out for me very well uh i i keep needing this guy who plays the penguin to start getting fat you know this 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 skinny penguin who just happens to walk funny and quite doing it for me i need him to put on some weight um, we're, we're seeing more and more origins of these supervillains that Batman will be facing down the road. And I'd been watching this kid that plays Bruce Wayne get older and older and, you know, his voice has started to change and everything. He's still not quite there with a man voice yet, but he's coming. He, he which some people would say, well, Steve, you're not quite there with a man voice. Hey, 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 I know. Calm down. Get off my back. Okay. I'm just trying to talk about Gotham right now. Can I just talk about Gotham? Um, I'm just talking about God. Um, but now he has, they've gone Smallville circus season seven, eight, nine ish, you know, into 10 and, and he's put on a mask and he's wearing a hooded, uh, coat. Um, and, and Lucius Fox came and basically gave him an outfit, uh, spoiler alert, everybody, um, that's bulletproof and all this other stuff. So they're really getting into the Batman origin now. Meanwhile, Jim Gordon is still just Detective Gordon, you know, working his way up. And, and Bruce is now trying to learn how he's going to do all the stuff that he's wanting to do. And he's finding himself, you know, running headlong into a confrontation with the Penguin. I don't know that we're going to get Batman in this series. Ra Ra's al Ghul has now come into play, or Ra's al Ghul has now come into play big time. So it... It's one of these things that they've started doing these villains, and I'm really interested in watching how this thing all pans out. But I also look at it, and I'm like, this is not... 
I don't know. It, it still feels like this show doesn't know exactly what it wants to be. It's almost over the top with some of the acting and some of the the way that it's written. Um, you know, it, it's written... There are times where I'm like, okay, they're really taking this seriously, and there are other times where these characters are just caricatures. You know, I don't know. I don't know. But I know I'm caught up with it, and like I say, I've never really had a guilty pleasure, but this may very well be it. This Gotham may very well be uh, my guilty pleasure. Here we go. Get it in first. We are, uh, <laughs> we have just let, grind it till you find it, as they say. Oh, are you there? Right? Yeah, Team Steve. Team um, Steve. <laughs> grind it till you find it. On a, in an automatic, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they had jumbo wings and tenders. I was hoping there would be a gate guard to sweet talk up mm-hmm. there, but it was not. We, we saw a lot of long ponytails today. Okay, we'll edit this part out. No, no we won't. I know you won't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't edit it. If I am looking in the sun too long, everything gets fuzzy after that. I mean, that's everybody. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize y'all's neighborhood. And whosoever shall be found must stand and face the hounds of hell. Oh, she's a scary child. Rot inside a corpse's shell. Shaz is convinced they were stacking bodies in this cemetery. I mean, that's premium plot right there. I would have been like, hey, you, tell me about these jumbo wings and tenders. The announcer looks at me and uh, says, you want to eat? I was like, what? We, we should probably go back for some jumbo wings um, and tender. Jumbo wings and tender. Jumbo wings and tender. Jumbo wings and tender. Jumbo wings and jumbo wings and something I was not expecting. Our Stranger Things watch through is swiftly approaching as we get toward the end of this month. On October 19th, we begin. That's just a week and a couple of days away from the time of this recording. And we're going to be watching episode by episode. We're going to kick that off with uh, a listen to our Stranger Things expedition um, that we did, we being myself, Steve Bennett of Team Steve, and honorary Team Steve member Shaz Bazaar. We were all together and traveling through North Georgia, going to different Stranger Things shooting locations. Had a blast. And you'll get to hear that, and you can read about it uh, beginning this week 
on geekoutonline.com. Geekoutonline.com will begin a series of chapters chronicling uh, the Stranger Things expedition. And uh, you can see pictures that were taken there by Steve Bennett and myself and Shaz and and uh, read about the adventures as well as hear about them uh, when we release that episode coming up here in just uh, just a week or so. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that and uh, and and be and I hope that you'll watch Stranger Things along with us as we uh, go through each episode. Of course, we'll be doing that live uh, at mixer.com/goliverse as well as. Um, It'll be available, of course, to download on the feed as well. Um, so there's a little bit of news that has come out uh, today and in, in, uh, in, in this week that is worth touching on so far. One thing that people are really getting excited about is the reboot of Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories. Amazing Stories was an anthology television show that aired back in the 80s. I believe it came on Sunday nights on NBC. It was it was a show that I didn't get to watch too many of. I know that uh, people have favorite episodes of Amazing Stories the same way that uh, fans of The Twilight Zone have uh, favorite episodes of that show. Um, the one that I re- there are a couple that I remember the most is the the magnetism episode where um, a girl was magnetized by lightning and a guy was magnetized by lightning. And he was like the cool guy and she was the not cool person. And they end up being drawn to one another because of that, literally, at the end. Um, and uh, we, um, let's see, what else was there? Was there another? I know some of the famous ones are the guy who could draw and he drew wheels for the airplane, you know, back in World War II for the bomber. Mark Hamill had an appearance on, on an episode where he played a toy collector. Um, there were some that were a little more scary, some that were a little more funny. And I just wasn't, it was not a show that I was able to get exposed to that much. But these things were, I I remember the ones that I did see being very cinematic in scope. I mean, they were ambitious, uh, ambitious. It was an ambitious television product, uh, project. Um, Amblin Entertainment, uh, they're teaming up with Apple now uh, to produce a reboot of the series. Um, and it was originally set to air on NBC. NBC is now teaming up with Apple to bring the series to life. This comes from Geek Tyrant. The show is being developed by Brian Fuller. Uh, and uh, Jennifer Salk uh, had this to say. She's the president of NBC Entertainment. Had this to say in a statement. It's wonderful to be reunited with our colleagues Zach and Jamie in their new capacity at Apple. We love being at the forefront of Apple's investment in scripted programming and can't think of a better property and Spielberg's beloved Amazing Stories franchise with the genius of Brian Fuller at the helm and more exciting creative partnerships to come. Uh, The first season expected to get a 10-episode run, and there's no details on how or when the series will launch. If they're with Apple, I imagine you'll have to buy it in the Apple Store. Um, So we'll just have to wait and see uh, what uh, what was happening there. The mission is the is the episode I was talking about with the World War II story that was the um, the plane. Kevin Costner and Kiefer Sutherland were both in that particular episode. Um, so, like I say, the, you know, the, it's a great if you can get old episodes. It's really worth checking out some old episodes of Amazing Stories. Um, it, it was a fun show, and and it's one that I'd like to revisit just to refresh myself and see how many I actually did see. And uh, and go back and, and and for some I know there'd be many of those episodes that I'd be visiting for the first time. Now this is a piece of news 
that really caught my attention. Um, Cinema Blend did an interview with Mark Ruffalo. Uh, this comes from Cinema Blend by way of Geek Tyrant. Um, that basically the Hulk is going to get a three-film story arc that is beginning with Ragnarok, with Thor Ragnarok. Um, you know I'm a huge Hulk fan. Um, I really do love The Incredible Hulk. I think that that movie gets a little bit panned because of Ang Lee's Hulk that came before it. I think that that contributed to its lack of success. Um, that, well, that Well, it's perceived lack of success. And I think that a lot of people didn't really know what to do with the Hulk, but the Hulk became the standout favorite of the first Avengers movie. And he has already made a big splash in these Thor Ragnarok trailers. Um, so what is apparently going to be happening is Marvel has planned a three-film story arc for the Hulk that's going to begin at Ragnarok and go through Avengers Infinity War and Avengers 4. Uh, Mark Ruffalo said this in an interview with Cinema Blend. So basically, Kevin Feige pulled me over... Uh, pulled me aside before this and said, if you're, if you were going to do a, uh, if we were going to do a standalone Hulk movie, what would it be? And I said, this is Ruffalo. I think it should be this, 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 and this, and this. And it ends up like this. And he said, I love that. Why don't we do that in the next three movies, starting with Thor three. And then we go into Avengers three and four. And I was like, that sounds great. So, and so we're at the beginning of this arc. Ruffalo goes on to say, Hulk speaking is the start uh, to separating to the separating of these two individuals, these identities and this split identity person, and where that's going to end up going. So it was really interesting to me. He's like a baby. He's like a five-year-old or six-year-old. So he has the same syntax. He has the same worldview, and so it was fun. It's like Chris. We all got to reinvent our characters in this. He's speaking of Chris Hemsworth. Um, this is actually, man, this is... It's sad because one of the things that's, according to Ruffalo in an, in an interview from a while back, one of the things that's preventing Marvel from doing a Hulk standalone feature is, um, is the Universal rights to the character. Universal still holds the rights to the Incredible Hulk uh, for these type of projects, and obviously they can't work out a deal that they feel would be as beneficial to Marvel slash Disney and Universal that would be equally beneficial the way um, it was the first time around. When The Incredible Hulk first came out, and this is this is something I think people forget a little bit, um, and I was thinking about this with the news of J.J. Abrams having kind of shafted uh, Paramount with a deal that they've given him, and, and he's kind of abandoned them for Star Wars again. Paramount has kind of <clears throat> been on the... Uh, on the short end of this Disney stick for a while now, you know, Paramount was the first studio that Marvel Studios had a deal with, had a had a deal with for the distribution of these Marvel Studios films. If you go back and watch the first Iron Man, it's a Paramount film. Same thing with uh, uh, Captain America and Thor. Um, I think Thor was Paramount. Maybe, maybe, I know Avengers had the Paramount logo at the beginning. Um, I'd have to go back and watch Thor again to know for sure. But um, Hulk, of course, had the Universal logo and begin because Universal has, since the 70s, um, had television and film rights for The Incredible Hulk. So it appears that one of the things that's holding Marvel Studios back from doing a standalone Hulk film is this, uh, this deal with Universal, the situation with Universal. Unfortunately, I think that they don't also don't have faith in the character for a standalone film, which is which is just too bad. 
It, you know, because it, with him now talking and not just being a roaring, grunting monster, um, and with the love that people gave him uh, after the the first Avengers movie, and and with the way that they found a way for him to fit in with the Avengers, and now as it appears, it's going to be with Thor Ragnarok. I just, as someone who loves, loves, loves the Incredible Hulk, um, it makes me really kind of sad as a fan to know that some stuff that was set up in the Incredible Hulk may not come to fruition. For example, Samuel Stearns, uh, who uh, helped them, tried to help them do the cure and got beat up and, and then the blood was dripping down into his head and his head started to bubble. I mean, that's, he becomes the leader. He becomes this genius who the whole thing is his genius versus the Hulk's strength. And the Hulk always seems to somehow win the day, even though he has no business beating someone as smart as the leader. You have the whole the idea of the UFOs, which I think would be a fantastic thing, way um, to, to, to bring some villains into the Hulk mythos. Now, the UFOs, the, you'd have to rearrange their origin a little bit because their whole origin was trying to recreate the same cosmic accident that made the Fantastic Four the Fantastic Four, only they became villains and they have some different powers and that sort of thing. But, you know, they've been foils for the Hulk. You know, you have, there's just a lot of great potential beyond just a fight with the army and a fight with the abomination for the Hulk. You could, that we've had the absorbing man show up in S.H.I.E.L.D., you could do the absorbing man versus the Hulk. But when you get into the psyche of the Hulk is where it gets really interesting. People have asked what what versions of the Hulk they should check out and, and what areas of the Hulk um, they should check out. I really think that um, that the Hulk uh, place to start, the place to start with the Hulk is, man, back in the day. Uh, you know, go all the way back to some of the some of the stuff from the 70s and into the 80s uh just to get a feel for the hulk that talks uh the way we're going to hear him talking in um in, in this in this upcoming movie uh i'm going to uh, i'm going to pull up a few specific story arcs that maybe maybe worth uh checking out for you um it was i was in a used bookstore uh yesterday here in town, and they had the old book, the little hardcover book that was made for kids to kind of introduce them to comics. And um, and that was the thing. that Those books, there was a Hulk, a Captain America, and a Fantastic Four uh, version of those books in my library as like a fifth grader. And I checked them out, and, and that's kind of what got me into comic book collecting were those books. And, and in the Hulk, when you really get to see his psyche come into play, uh, because there's a whole issue where Doc Sampson is basically doing psychotherapy with the Hulk and and you really get into the whole mindset of um what he's thinking and and where his thought processes come from and that sort of thing and and the split personality thing and when you get into the split personality stuff with the Hulk you end up with um with Banner versus the Hulk and you find out the internal struggle of Banner and and how he just doesn't accept the Hulk and the whole Hulk just wants to be left alone stuff and and man, it's good. But uh, the the stuff with um, any Hulk versus Thing fight, I would say check out Hulk number Incredible Hulk number one twenty five is is a great story. Uh, it's Hulk versus the Absorbing Man, and um, it's uh, it, it's Herb Trimpey doing the doing the art. Roy Thomas is writing. Roy Thomas is a 
is a definitive Incredible Hulk writer that I would say uh, to definitely check out. Um, let me see what else we've got here. Uh, I'm thumbing through the uh, Unlimited app really quickly. <clears throat> Excuse me while I cough away from the mic. Um, Incredible Hulk uh, number 141 is he and Doc Sampson. Um, and and this may be the one that I'm thinking of where Sampson is doing uh, doing his uh, whole um, his whole psychiatric you know breakdown of the Incredible Hulk. Uh, Incredible Hulk 150 is a milestone issue, um, or it should be. Uh, but you know it, it again. It's the Hulk, and and he goes and he gets. He's on trial at one point. It, there's just some really good stuff that goes on even in these early days with the Hulk. And it was adventure after adventure after adventure. Now, when you get to Hulk 180, uh, the Hulk is fighting Wendigo, or Wendigo, however you want to say it, um, which is basically an evil Sasquatch. And then in Hulk 181, you have the first ever appearance of, or the first ever extended appearance of Wolverine, as created by Lynn Wein. And um, this is one that is definitely worth checking out. It's a piece of history. And you kind of see how far that character came, the character of Wolverine, and the fact that he got his start here in the Hulk comics. Now, when you get up around Hulk number 200 is, is where we start to get into some, some of the psyche stuff and some of the things that are going on with, uh, with the Incredible Hulk. Um, it is uh, the Sal Buscema arc. Um, it is, uh, well, there's, there's different, well, no, it's Sal Buscema art throughout. Lynn Wein is editing at this time. Um, I don't see the writer here. I don't see who wrote this. So I guess I'm going to assume it was Lynn Wein, but, uh, but Hulk 200 is a good place. And so that's some of the older Hulk you could get into. And then as, as you roll on later into the 200, something began to happen with the Hulk and that's where these personalities began to mesh together uh david uh, or bruce banner takes over the the mind of the hulk and um and so you end up with a smart hulk you end up with bruce banner being able to turn into the hulk and be smart at, at the same time so much so that the the world begins to accept him for who he is and he's doing some great things there until the time of the Secret Wars, and he begins to, unfortunately, uh, lose his control over the Hulk, and um, and that leads into Incredible Hulk number, and that's where you start to get into some fun stuff about his past and where some of these things come from, and then that leads into Incredible Hulk number 300, where he's absolutely just gone berserk. Bruce Banner is gone. The Hulk is is completely full of rage, and he's he gets banished to the Crossroads of Infinity by Doctor Strange. If you want to read the Crossroads of Infinity stuff, you can. Hulk number 312 is the one of that that I would suggest you check out, because in Hulk number 312, you find out the definitive backstory of his abusive father, the fact that his father killed his mother. Um, there's some things that you know have traveled with him through the Crossroads of Infinity that are uh, results of his subconscious. And so when he returns to earth, he is mindless and they split the Hulk in two. Um, 
but they find out that it's killing Bruce Banner for the Hulk to be away from him, and it's also killing the Hulk. So they have to rejoin these two, uh, remerge these two, and in doing so, the return of the Gray Hulk. And so around three twenty, around three fourteen, right on through, uh, honestly you just start reading and it's just, and you start to get into the mindset and the psyche of the incredible Hulk. You start to break down these different personalities and around three thirty, Todd is where Todd McFarlane comes into play. Um, and Todd McFarlane, uh, is, is the artist, uh, Peter David begins writing around this time. And Peter David is the definitive Hulk writer from that point in 1988, all the way, uh, up to 1998, 2000, uh, 2001, maybe, is when his his run ended. But you go through this journey of the Gray Hulk as a as working with Shield to take down other threats, thought to be dead, uh, the Vegas leg breaker stuff. Uh, he loses that job and begins to be the Hulk on the run. And from there, it is now Bruce trying to find Betty and the Hulk going through his stuff. And then in issue 372, now understand, so it's been at this point two years or more um, since we've seen that original Gray Hulk. And now I feel like I'm just dying on the vine as I'm boring you. But in issue 372 of the Hulk the Green Hulk makes his return, and it was glorious. It was just perfect. Um, and so now you have, in the background, lurking in the background, this Green Hulk you know, thing going on while the Gray Hulk is still out and about. The, and, the, and the thing is, is Bruce would change into the Hulk at night. The Hulk would change back into Bruce in the day, and that's how it was originally. But now the Green Hulk was always, if Bruce just got mad, he would turn into the Green Hulk. So... Now the Green Hulk is, and so again, you're back in the psyche thing until finally all the Hulk personalities get merged into one giant green smart Hulk. Uh, Bruce, Gray Hulk, Green Hulk, they're all merged into one. And that begins a story arc that runs right up through and past uh, 400 and something. I just can't recommend this series enough. And just like any comic series, it has its hits and it has its misses. But when you've got Peter David writing and and then... Uh, it's it's honestly throughout his run more hits than misses with the Incredible Hulk until you get into the late, late 90s uh, when Marvel started to do the Heroes Reborn stuff and things got a little weird and got a little tough to kind of follow. Uh, and when all that was, and when all that dust settled, man, you get into one of the, one of the greatest Hulk stories of all time, in my opinion is Hulk number 467, which was Peter David's last um, last issue of The Incredible Hulk that he wrote due to some creative differences with Marvel. And it was just, it was a powerful, powerful thing. And, and Peter David did the best job of exploring the psyche and the mindset of the Hulk. Well, then I know everyone else in the world loves, loves, loves like the the Planet Hulk stuff. And Planet Hulk was a good title. It was a fine title. It was a fine storyline. Um, you know, uh, but it just, you know, it, it kind of was what it was. They'd done something similar in the past that people had seemed to forgot, you know, seemed to kind of forgotten about. And um, 
you know, but that doesn't that doesn't mean it's not worth your time, and it doesn't mean it's not good. Uh, what's really good is World War Hulk's when he World War Hulk when he comes back. I thought I just like the idea of the Hulk coming back. Anyhow, my point is this: so I don't know what they could possibly be considering doing um, with uh, with with the Hulk when he returns. Um, or when he when he's in these movies, I, I don't know what where they could be going because all we got was this 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 and this uh, from Mark Ruffalo. But I imagine if he's already if he's talking split identity and split personality stuff, we're going to get into the conflict, the real conflict that exists between Banner and the Hulk. We may see the Gray Hulk show up. We may see um, a Smart Hulk. It, the, the possibilities are limitless and endless, and it really gives me hope that if they do it right throughout these movies that the fans will cry out for more Hulk and that Disney and Universal and Marvel Studios will, will kind of be forced to come to the table and figure out how to do uh, some standalone Hulk movies. I'd love it. I'd be in heaven. And then you can bring in Jennifer Walters and do the She-Hulk. You could bring in, um, you could have the leader show up and do all the humanoids. You could bring in MODOK. You could bring in, you could bring back the Abomination uh, again, I say Crusher Krill, the uh, the Absorbing Man is always great. The UFOs, as I mentioned, and then there are other you know little things. Well, Mister Hyde has already been taken care of in Agents of Shield, but you know Hulk even had some fun encounters with Mister Hyde back in the day. Let's see here. Let me here. We're going to. I'm going to pull out the Ultimate Marvel, and I'm going to thumb through uh, Ultimate Marvel here, and uh, let me find the uh, the Okay, I'm trying to find where we can find our villains here. Man, this is a great, great book. It's the Marvel Age begins with the, they they go all the way back to the timely comics, you know, and with the Golden Age with Captain. That's where they start is like the the comic events timeline, and then they get into the superheroes and villains with uh, with Captain America right through the Atlas Age, and then finally into the Marvel Age. So I'm going to thumb through here from about page thirty. Uh, 30 or so and, and see what we can find just to kind of get some ideas for who might be fun to see. And and someone mentioned a Hulk Spider-Man team up in one of these articles and I thought, sure, that might be fun. That could be that could be fun to do. Then you always have the army stuff you could do. Doctor Strange and Hulk has always been a fun team up. In fact, the original of Defenders were Doctor Strange, Hulk, Namor, the Submariner and, um, and, the, and the Silver Surfer. You know, Hulk was part of those uh th those uh th that team throughout you know the, the the its run in fact he left the avengers and or he didn't leave the avengers but he ended up finding kind of the defenders and um and that's uh you know that's who it was uh let's see sandman is a spider-man villain but he's also fought the hulk before um it you know <clears throat> sorry about the voice situation there everybody this is the thing with all that Marvel Studios has and, and the fact that they had all these outstanding contracts due to some of their financial problems back in the day. You don't know who's what and who's available um, to do. Oh, uh, Tyrannus. Uh, uh, what's his name? Anyhow, he lives below the Mole Man, and he's a bad guy that Hulk has fought before in the past. And he doesn't quite have the, uh, the powers... You know, or he doesn't have the control over the monsters that the Mole Man does, but he has a whole group of underground dwellers that, that follow him. 
Um, so, yeah. It, it would be great. It would be great to see him up against some of these people. Was his name Tyrannus? 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 Anyhow, doesn't matter. I'm just kind of thumbing through now, just seeing what catches my attention, what catches my eye as far as some, some stuff the Hulk could be pit against. Man, I'd love to have Silver Surfer and Galactus into the Marvel Studios line of thinking. I, I'm hoping and wishing beyond all hope that they're doing some backdoor deals with Fox that just aren't being leaked. But in this day where everything gets leaked, I just don't know how awesome would it be to have the Silver Surfer show up um, in in Infinity War. It would be amazing. It would be absolutely amazing. Let's do a quick random... Even Rhino, and I know Rhino is a, is a, is a Spider-Man villain particularly, but he's had some good fights with the Hulk before. Um, man, it'd be so good to see him. Marvel is kind of tied in with the Hulk a little bit. Captain, The original Captain Marvel um, from from the comics, the Kree warrior, which we may see actually come into play with the Captain Marvel, the Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, um, character, uh, because she is, uh, she's tied into, to the Cree stuff the way he, the way Marvel was. Um, I tell you, I love the Marvel movies and I love classic Marvel comics so much. There's some really good stuff in these classic Marvel comics, you know, some, I've, I've kind of, I've, I still read some of the stuff from the, from today. Um, Tyrannus, his first, his first appearance is Incredible Hulk number five, banished by Merlin to Subterranea, Roman savant Romulus Augustus scavenges the technology of the Deviants. They were actually enemies of the aforementioned Eternals, um, and dominates the indigenous Moloids. Planning for centuries to conquer the surface world, he is sustained by waters bestowing eternal life. So, yeah, check him out. Um, he's not the best villain in the world, but he could be fun. Listen, the way they do things on these Marvel movies, you know, they're not the best. They'll get people that aren't the best villains in the world, and suddenly they're just, like, so much fun. Um, Man-Thing. It'd be it'd be cool to see the Hulk end up having to fight Man-Thing. Hulk and, uh, hey, Hulk and Ghost Rider could team up. Oh, man. Oh, Marvel doesn't have X-Men. Dadgummit. Uh, there was a replacement Fantastic Four for a couple of issues, and it was Hulk, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man, and uh, Wolverine. Now, you want to talk about a 90s team-up. That was, I mean, that's it, man. Um, here's the Defenders. Unlike other superhero teams, the Defenders are a loose association without a character or headquarters, or without a charter or headquarters, though they often meet in Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. In their first assemblage, Doctor Strange teams up with Namor the Submariner and the Hulk to defend Earth from the extra-dimensional Undying Ones. The, de the Defenders officially form as a non-team when the trio assembles to stop Yandroth and his Omegatron doomsday device. Hulk and Namor, both volatile personalities, vow never to work together at all after that, but Strange manages to bring them together in times of needs. The Defenders roster frequently grows and changes at various times. Noteworthy members include Luke Cage, uh, Clea, Doctor Strange's one-time disciple and wife, Hawkeye, Jack Norris and Nighthawk's body, Nighthawk, Kyle Richmond, Damon Hellstrom, Red Guardian, Silver Surfer, Valkyrie. The occasional associate of the team are, Do are Devil Slayer, Daredevil, Gargoyle, Hellcat, Iron Fist, and Yellow Jacket. Valkyrie creates her own all-female version of the team at one point. So, known as the Fearless Defenders or Valkyrie, 
Members include Elsa Bloodstone, Clea, Misty Knight, Danny Moonstone, Annabella Riggs, and Warrior Woman, the Olympian Hippolyta. Uh, defenders become concerned with securing concordance engines, a series of devices designed to constrain reality of the universe itself. So they go through... Man, I love this book so much. This is so much fun. Um, can you imagine Hulk and Drax? We're, we may get to see Hulk fight Drax the Destroyer in Avengers Infinity War. We may get to see them go at it for a minute. That'll be fun. Anyhow, I need to I need to put this book aside because we've got more to talk about uh, before we go on. So any, I, I just say that to say it really excites me to see the Hulk kind of come to the forefront in these movies. And it's also kind of sad um, that the Hulk uh, can't get his own standalone movie. All right, a random card reading. This comes from the Star Wars Journey to the Force, uh, Journey to the Last Jedi card series. This is card number 26, Aboard the Tantive 4, the Tantive E4, depending on who you are. Uh, Struggle against evil, number 1 of 25, escaping from the harsh grasp of Darth Vader. Princess Leia Organa headed toward her home, Planet Alderaan, in the Tantive 4, carrying out, carrying with her the stolen Death Star readouts. Leia's journey was soon interrupted by her enemy, and the escaping ship was boarded. Rebel allies fought valiantly in a losing battle with Vader's well-armed troopers, and Captain Antilles gave his life in the struggle, even as the princess devised a separate plan to preserve the stolen readouts for Rebel Alliance use. So that is uh, aboard the Tantive Four, card number 26 of the Journey to the Last Jedi card set from Tops. And as we said, we are brought to you by Topps. Uh, is, Topps is the name in both sports and non-sports card collecting and trading. You can visit www.tops.com now to check out their available card series, including the Journey to the Last Jedi trading card set, featuring scenes from across the entire Star Wars saga, including television series Clone Wars and Rebels, as well as new content from the upcoming Star Wars movie The Last Jedi. Look for inserts in all the different lines of cards, including autographs, sketch cards, and more. Topps also changed the way we collect and trade cards with their trading card apps. Of course, you know about the Star Wars card trader, but they also feature The Walking Dead, the NFL, WWE, MMA, NHL, soccer, and of course, Major League Baseball. Check out uh, all those apps. You can visit tops.com. Check out their online exclusives, merchandise, and rediscover tops. That's tops. The story of collecting lasts a lifetime. Well, this happened this week.
something darker. people we don't know to risk their lives. Strong man as strong as alone. You ever heard that? That's not a saying. That's the opposite of what the saying is. Divided. We are not enough. The world needs Superman. why I brought you together. Ride ain't over yet. I'm mad. That's your. Oh, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. Yeah, that's that's what that means. It's so cool. So I guess at New York Comic Con, this Justice League trailer dropped, and I got to be honest with you, I am, uh, I'm really this this trailer kind of put me over the the edge with this movie. I I was. I liked the initial thing we saw last year. Uh, I liked a lot of the visuals. I liked the humor that was there. Um, I liked some of the f- subsequent trailers we saw. But then this trailer, I was just like, this is great. And here's why. We need Superman. I love the idea that they're realizing they need Superman. Now, they are doing a little bit of you know reworking how it really looked in Man of Steel and uh, Batman v Superman where... Uh, the world is mourning Superman when when all we saw mostly in Batman v Superman was how many people didn't like him. Uh, but here, you know, we're we're getting the the flip side of the story, and they're talking about crime being up and all this other stuff. So, and in the in in the in the last trailer we got, we heard, I believe it was Steppenwolf actually talking about the fact that there are no lanterns, no Kryptonians. It's a world that's ripe for the taking. And so his death is what is setting off maybe Darkseid actually sending in the troops to try to take over the Earth. And, of course, now the Justice League in a position to have to uh, protect. I really hope this this is the movie that writes the ship for Warner Brothers and the DC franchises that they have because these are, I've said in the past, you know, Marvel has characters. DC does indeed have legends. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, these are legendary Superheroes. These are superheroes that are more in entwined, not just in the American pop culture, but in the culture of the global community in the world. And um, there's a lot to like about this character. I like or this trailer. I like the fact that the character of Aquaman, Aquaman, is being is being shown to be possibly going the the runaway star of this film. I think that people are going to... He's always been kind of... Not always. in Since the 90s, Aquaman has kind of been made fun of and poked fun of as kind of the, the, the worthless superhero. And I really think this movie may turn that around for him because we're seeing some good personality. 
uh, Jason uh, Momoa, who is just, you know, Carl Drago is just, yeah, we're, look, he looks good. He sounds great. He looks fun. And it's just going to be a good time. This, the shot where Flash takes off to run, if you pause that, it looks like he's about to trip over a stair there. Like, it's not, it's not a, uh, it doesn't look like he's got sure footing there the way that foot bends when he goes to take off. There is still some of this uh, Zack Snyder kind of uh, uh, feel and, and flavor to the filming. Of course, Zack Snyder filmed most of this. Josh Whedon came in, I guess, maybe do some pickups and some editing. Uh, he may have actually ended up having a little bit more to do with the final product of the movie than we may know, but it definitely has, you know, some of your Zack Snyder big blue screen. And look, I'm not against blue screen and that sort of thing, but it definitely has some of that same look that BVS had as well as, um, the man of steel. And of course the last, uh, big fight with, in wonder woman, but, um, man, and, Gosh, that scene where Wonder Woman just kind of breaks a little bit of a smile. I just, if you don't like Gal Gadot, you've got a problem. The problem is yours, all right? And if you don't like her as Wonder Woman, then the problem is yours. Uh, I, I, look, we all know, spoiler alert, we all know Superman is coming back. We all know that that's going to, to happen um, because we've talked about the... Um, we we've talked about the the mustache gate, you know. We haven't talked about it on here, but basically, when they went back for reshoots, they wouldn't allow Henry Cavill to shave his mustache, and they made and so they have to digitally remove Henry Cavill's mustache in any of the pickup shots that they did because it's impossible to make a fake mustache for anyone in Hollywood these days. Um, and so it is. Uh, it, it so we know Superman's in this thing. Henry Cavill in the opening shot of this looks a lot more trim than Henry Cavill did in earlier uh, movies that he's been in. And maybe it's just the the shirt he's wearing and, and the angle that they've got him at. But like from the back, he looks built more like Christopher Reeve than he did in some of those earlier things. And he looks like he's lost a little bit of weight in the face. Like his face seems a little bit more chiseled and, and stuff out than than it did so and look i'm not i'm not that's not a criticism that's i like that i like a lean superman rather than an over muscular superman because you know the thing about superman is his strength doesn't come from having big muscles his strength comes from uh the charge that he gets from our yellow sun so he doesn't necessarily have to be big muscled and everything i still like ben affleck as bruce wayne and batman i think the casting for all of these DC movies across the board has been nearly perfect. I did not, I've gone on record, do not like the the portrayal of Lex Luthor in Batman versus Superman, but I also felt like that it that the potential, Jesse Eisenberg's potential to be a great Lex Luthor was there and may still be there. Um, the casting of The Flash in this movie, it's hard to get over, you know, the love for Grant Gustin as The Flash on television. But I'm willing to give it a chance, and I'm willing to give this movie a chance more now than I ever was based on this trailer. I love the use of the Peter Gabriel's Heroes, which seems, you know, which Stranger Things did at first. Um, but uh, I, I, I was glad to not hear Come Together used again. I feel like that got a little overplayed in, in prior um, uh, trailers for the Justice League. 
Danny Elfman is doing the music in this, and Danny Elfman, as we mentioned on maybe it was Mark Out Loud or some other. No, we mentioned on Rock Out Loud. Danny Elfman has said that he's incorporating a subtle bit of John Williams Superman theme into this, and he's going to be incorporating his own Batman theme into this. What is what is great about some of these trailers that we've had? Um, I believe it was the last trailer that we had where you can actually hear that Hans Zimmer Man of Steel theme uh, being played throughout. And so it just, I don't know, like, they may burn me. This this may be a burn. They they may have me. But I'll tell you this, um, if they've got me, then I'm the sucker and, and they win. But they, they've got me. They, they may be fooling me. But if that if so, I'm I'm willing to be fooled this time around. I, I'm going to give them this chance because Wonder Woman was really really good, and um, and I'm and I'm thinking that maybe they they can right the ship, and and do it right this time with Justice League. I'm I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. The trailer is so much fun. It's really really good. Can't. I, I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm actually looking forward. November's going to be a fun month. Thor Ragnarok, Justice League. November's going to be fun as far as movies go. Um, December looks like it may be a little fun as far as movies go. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. So there that is, the Last Jedi trailer. We we didn't convene a council. We didn't do a live watch through. Uh, Rebel Force Radio took over Mixler 
uh, last night as this thing debuted, and I was not about to try to compete with the guys from um, from Rebel Force Radio. By the way, um, I, I said Carl Drago earlier. It's Carl Drago. Um, <laughs> Uh, I guess I don't know. I get confused. Anyhow, um, I, I I mean this thing has been torn apart already online. Not torn apart in a bad way, but just you know, picked. I should say picked apart and looked at and analyzed to death um, by Star Wars fans. I don't know what I can add to this outside of a few things um, that that are pretty interesting to me, or, or just the things that I'm loving. These walkers. I've always been an AT-AT fan. AT-ATs are my favorite ship in, or favorite vehicle, I should say, in Star Wars. Outside of the Millennium, I mean, you know, you take the Millennium, well, X-Wings I love. What is my favorite Star Wars? I love AT-ATs. I have a special place. Let me say it this way. I have a very special place in my heart for AT-ATs. Probably that's more due to my collecting than anything, but I just really like them. And these walkers uh, have a weird kind of, foot, if you will, that's different from the old AT-AT round kind of base foot. They actually look like they're coming down on knuckles or something like that. So they've been called gorilla walkers because of the way they're walking. They look really cool. And Kylo Ren is leading these walkers into battle. We've seen from one angle in a prior trailer, those things that are skimming across. This is on crate. We've seen from a prior trailer, those things that are skimming across, they're actually getting ready to go into battle, I guess, with these things. We're going to see a battle on crate. And I want to, look, I was talking to someone today, and I want to say this, and, and because I, th I think it bears mentioning, I was not the kindest to The Force Awakens. I, I learned to like the movie. I still don't love it, love it. it it's not, I, I like The Phantom Menace better than I like The Force Awakens. There's a few things about Star Wars in 2017, um, that that we I guess we just have to come to grips with. You know, George Lucas was telling a story that he wanted to tell, whether you liked it or not. George Lucas was telling a story he wanted to tell, and he did not. He was not precious about his own source material, and he was not going to be beholden to fan theories or what fans thought should happen. He was going to go where he felt the story was most taking him. Corporate Disney Star Wars is different in that they are gearing things to try to bring fans in. I don't, as much as I know that Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams are fans of Star Wars, and I know that they say in the story group that story matters, as much as they say that, I don't know that anyone outside of Dave Filoni is as concerned with the mythology of Star Wars. Um as George Lucas was. So I was a little rough on The Force Awakens. And one of the things I was rough on The Force Awakens about was the lack of environments that felt alien. We were on Jakku, and it seemed to me like they spent most of their time focusing on how they were going to try to differentiate Jakku from Tatooine. Uh, and they only did that by making it a junkyard and having a hypervore and no Jawas and no sand people. So I guess they did a pretty good job of differentiating those planets. Um, but it, essentially, it was a desert planet. Starkiller Base was a snow planet, and even though we didn't really get the snow speeder chase and all that stuff, there was still, you know, it, there wasn't anything outside of the big laser, you know, which you kind of forgot was there until it would pan out and show it shooting. 
Um, there wasn't anything to really make it feel unearthly. Uh, same thing with Takadana, um, where uh, Maz Kanata was. Once you got in her castle, it felt a little alien. But even then, I think the alien, the the designs fell a little flat for me. Um, and then uh, where the, the planet where the rebel base was. The planet itself, the only approach, looked really neat. But once you got onto the base itself, I don't know. Like, there was something about those temples they used, even though they're like Mayan temples and stuff, and or Incan temples, you know, that they used as exterior shots in the original uh, Star Wars. It Yavin 4 still felt, in some ways, alien. And maybe it was because of the gas giant hanging out in the sky. You know, these little touches that were put in each of these environments. On Dagobah, you know, it was nothing but a swamp, but the sun never shone. There were weird creatures. There was a creature living in the bog that swallowed R2. Um, as we said, Tatooine, though it was a desert planet, we met within, our, you know, the first 20 minutes, 30, 25, 30 minutes of Star Wars. On Tatooine, we met two indigenous species that were not human, sand people and Jawas. And... I just think that, it, it, not to mention there was the whole dead crate dragon behind 3PO at one point, you know, the bones of the, the giant crate dragon. And so we knew that this was an alien world based on these subtle little cues. Hoth had the wampa, you know, and there's nothing like that on Earth. And, and the base was designed in such a way that it felt technologically beyond anything that we as humanity have. And, uh, you know, the asteroid field is out in space, so that's space. Cloud City felt like the most like a futuristic old-school Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers-type place, environment. Uh, in Return of the Jedi, we're back on Cloud City. We've got the Death Star environment, just like we did in A New Hope. And then um, on Endor, you know, you're suddenly introduced to these Ewoks, and suddenly you're in a galaxy far, far away because of the Ewoks. You know, for, whether you like the Ewoks or hate them, they, there was an alienness to them. Um, when you get to the prequel trilogy in Episode One, Naboo could be it, it was Italy. You know, there's a place that they filmed, and and if you know those places, and you you can see that. But then all of a sudden, you've got Gungans, and you've got these creatures underneath the water that that suddenly make give this place a more alien feel. Not to mention the droids invading. So they go to make sure, George, my point is this, is George was making sure that when we went to these worlds, that in order to keep them from feeling too Earth-like, there was enough alien thrown in to sometimes be distracting, but other times not be too distracting, that would fit into the environments, that had a point for being there, and it, we were able to kind of feel like we were in a galaxy far, far away. I don't know that The Force Awakens does that. Now swinging way around to my point here in the last jedi this planet crate mylanta these this salt co coating uh, on this red mineral rich ground is immediately not earth-like it's immediately so foreign and so alien that yes this is a star wars planet this is something new and different and and it's so cool to see him attacking from the, the someone made a point on Rebel Force Radio, and I'm just going to steal their point. It was a caller who called in that there's a great shot, overhead shot of Kylo Ren leading stormtroopers into a cave, and if this is on crate, it looks like they've just blasted a hole in the wall to get in here, um, 
and because there's still smoke smoldering and, and that sort of thing. And uh, and Kylo Ren is marching in, flanked by stormtroopers, the same way Darth Vader did into the uh, into the Jedi Temple. Through all this, we have uh, Snoke talking about. Um, I, I I assume he's talking about finding Kylo. Let's give it a listen to hear exactly what Snoke says. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. Raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. So Snoke is telling him he's truly special. He saw this raw, untamed power. In the midst of that, we see Kylo Ren helmeted, mind you. And this is going to bring me to some of my theories momentarily. Uh, picking up his lightsaber from uh, from the ground with this red background, and you can see the feet of the Praetorian guards behind him. And that brings us to Rey here on Octu um, with the lightsaber in her hand, and we will see some training going on here. This music is really neat. Inside me has always been there. Then I was awake. She says, this thing inside of me has always been there, and now it's awake. And and it was awakened in a very big way in The Force Awakens. Kylo Ren played a part of that, but also the Force itself, I think, played a part in that, bringing Finn to her, uh, connecting her to Han Solo. You know, all this journey that she goes on, you know, definitely seemed to be laid out by The Force. And so we see Rey practicing with this lightsaber, and there's this cool shot of her swinging around and stopping just in time at this rock that looks like it's been worn down a little bit by some lightsaber training in the past. So there's some history. There's some lightsaber training history to that rock, but also she she appears to be, was it a video game where they had the different circles that you fight in and you worked your way out of the circles by doing certain things, or was that something we actually saw in the Clone Wars? I think it might have been a video game. If anyone in the chat is still there that can help me out, um... Then, uh, then, then I'd appreciate it if if it was because it was it as a was in the old old Republic where they had the different forms and you start in this circle and you move your way out to this circle. No, wait, I'm thinking. Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I have uh, I have mistaken uh, Star Wars sword training with the sword training of another film that, uh, <laughs> and I mean, it literally just hit me, um, uh, of what I speak. I'm, I'm of course speaking of the 1998 film, um, the mask of Zorro. Uh, yeah. Where he trains him in the circles. You remember him? Yeah. Zorro. You remember this movie? It's a good movie. Antonio Banderas, Anthony Hopkins, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Let's get here to the fencing lesson and see if... Yeah, this is... I was thinking it was a... It was a it's not a Jedi thing. It's a... Uh, Yeah. 
So, and I see some of you in the chat have 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 chimed in that I wish I'd have seen you uh, before I actually thought of it myself. I'm very embarrassed by that, and I apologize for being a loser who gets Star Wars confused with Zorro. Anyhow, it does appear though that this has been a very much a, a lightsaber training place. The music, as we talked about, is really cool. The fact that the music kind of goes into what sounds like a variation of Darth Vader's theme. It, it, it sounds like an incomplete Imperial March. Um, dun, 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 you know. Um, but it also feels a little bit like a variation of the, you know, it, it rolls right into Ray's theme, which I think is great. Something inside me has always been there. But now it's awake. And I need help. I've seen this raw strength only once before. Very effective use of Ray's theme and coming in powerfully in this, which I really dig because it goes into Luke talking about, I've seen this raw strength once before. Didn't scare me much then as, as it should have. And now it does. Um, I am, I am going on record and saying that I'm guilty of saying it's so good to have whiny, uncertain Luke back. I'm scared now. I, I, <sighs> I know that I'm hoping that he's just trying to be wise and I'm hoping that we get to see Luke. I'm getting less and less sure that we're going to get to see Luke really break bad and, and, and just be Jedi master Luke in this movie. And that really disappoints me because I feel like that we're missing out on things that we would have loved to seen as uh, fans of star Wars for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, there's some talk about when Luke turns around from saying that there's something on the ground, a design on the ground behind him that we can't really make out. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's kind of unclear as to what it actually is. Um, then we cut to this scene of Kylo holding his helmet and it looks like he's coming out of a lift or standing in a lift and he's holding his helmet up and he, throw he punches the punches the wall because he's so upset and mad uh if you remember in, in the first trailer there's a shot of his crushed helmet on the ground smoldering and crushed i really do think kylo is going to abandon the helmet situation i think that kylo is going to either turn good by trying to step out of his desire to be like darth vader or go more deeply evil and in his desire to be greater than darth vader then we cut to the shot that is, it, it, it's something right out of Return of the Jedi. It, from, it's the rear end of these ships and, and uh, a TIE fighter closing in on the attack. It looks like something out of the, the battle around the Death Star 2. One of those TIE fighters is Kylo Ren's TIE fighter. I don't think it's called a TIE fighter, a TIE raider, maybe. I forget what it's actually called. And we're led to believe that he is honing in on Leia's location on the ship. And Leia can sense him, and he senses Leia, and he seems to um, hesitate on the trigger, and we see him uh, shedding some tears there, getting a little weepy um, with with what's happening uh, in this situation. And so I tend to think that he's going to allow Leia to live, and this may be his step back toward the light. Uh, 
the Falcon flying what I am assuming is in a cave um, on crate that, you know, maybe, maybe the battle of crate. I think, I think I assumed because of the presence of the walkers and everything that, and because of the way they did things in the last, in the promotion for the last film for the force awakens. I think I'm assuming that crate was coming in like the first third of the movie, the same way Jakku did. But now seeing this, it leads me to believe that this may very well be toward the climax. This may be a climactic battle of the movie. That this may be the moment where everyone's making their last few stands and that sort of thing. And this may be, uh, we may be, we may be being privy, being given privy, being made privy rather to the final third of the movie here. But uh, the the Falcon flying through these caves with the uh, with with all the stalactites and stalagmites and such as through it. And Chewie roars. His eyes are way too big. They need to do something about the look of this Chewie mask uh, in post. I hope they do it before. And if you pause it at just the right time, you can actually see uh, the guy who's Johannes's mouth behind the Chewie's mouth. It looks really weird. His eyes look very, very strange. There's just something about this whole deal. It's too well lit or something. Um, his eyes aren't dark enough. Too much white of the eye there for Chewie. Um, he roars, and then, of course, it cuts over to the Porg roaring. And everybody loves Porgs. I don't know how I feel about Porgs. And then we see Poe, and, and there's, a, there's an X-Wing there that's a little souped-up X-Wing. It's got a big old jet on the back of it. And it looks to be, it could be Poe's X-Wing. We see Captain Phasma and Finn fighting as a ship is... Uh, blowing up around them, or wherever they're at is blowing up around them. And then Luke, I really want to examine this part. We we do get a little bit of BB-8 there, get a little BB-8 action. Um, let me bring up some volume here. This is not going to go. Now it's dark. It looks like Luke may be a little wet. Um you know, so maybe in the rain situation here, but he's speaking uh, to Ray. It's not going to go the way you think. The way you think. And so we see Ray doing some swimming there. So maybe there's some stuff going on where there's some trials or some things happening in almost like a Jedi cave and almost like a Dagobah cave kind of situation. And there's our best look at Snoke, old California Raisin Reject. And he's doing something to Ray. And I was surprised that people were surprised that Snoke is a force wielder, um, a force user. I, I kind of assumed that was the case since as he could sense an awakening and all this other stuff. I, I really kind of assumed that we knew that Snoke could use the force. Um, you know, maybe I'm the dummy uh, for not being surprised here. But he's doing something to Ray, and she's getting blown back. And here's the big question. To show me my place in all this. Now, last night upon watching that, I kind of assumed they were in the same place, she and Kylo, and that Kylo's actually reaching out to her, and she's kind of accepting, she's asking Kylo to teach her. But now, given... And it's not the lighting that's throwing me off this time. There are people who have been like, the lighting, the lighting... Listen to listen to the the audio of this. 
and hear the echo. To show me my place in all. You hear the echo. Let me uh, let me back on up a little bit. Destiny. I need someone to show me my place in all this. See, it goes black when she says, I need someone. If that were the case, if it, if it were just over like a black screen or something else, I'd say, well, they just put that on there for effect. But when you actually see her speaking, uh, you can see a bit of a background there. This could be the cave that she and Luke are in. Um, and she's saying, I need someone to show me my place and all this. this. This may be her finally making her final appeal to Luke. And then because when you pan around to Kylo Ren here in this th at the end here, um, there's a lot happening in the distance, or it doesn't seem like there would be the opportunity for her voice to echo this way. So there seems to be a lot more room where Kylo is. Now, he may be very well reaching out to her uh, for some help or, or to, to try to help her to try to... So I don't know. It, it's intriguing, and I'll tell you that. They've definitely got my interest up with this situation. Um, there is a, you know, I, last night I was convinced that I was being, that I was a victim of the misdirection. I was going on record as saying that, yeah, she and Kylo are in the same place and she's actually reaching out to Kylo now. Not so sure. I do know that uh, I'm just kind of preparing myself for disappointment with the whole Luke thing that apparently, you know, we're not going to get to see Jedi Master Luke. And that's, that is disappointing. I, I'm sorry. Um, I know that, you know, everyone's, perfectly content with Ray being awesome and that's fine and I will be content with that but man I want to see I was really hoping to see Luke just kind of bust a few moves and it wouldn't surprise me if Luke just stays on Octu while Ray goes off to save her friends or her friend who is who is Finn which that's another thing we don't really get this really focuses in on the story of Ray and Luke. This is that's really what this is the focus of. We and Kylo. We don't really see a lot of what's going on with Poe and Finn. We see that Finn is in his uh, imperial in an imperial uniform, you know, infiltrating uh, the resistance or the First Order. There, I should say, a First Order uniform. And he and Phasma are going to finally get their fight. But um, outside of that, we really don't get a gist of everything that's going on in this movie, which is fine with me. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing where they take this thing. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if Kylo just up and kills Snoke, maybe to save Rey in that moment. Um, could be that Kylo is there and he actually saves Rey, and that's what this is all about when he reaches out his hand. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but this is going to be the last trailer we get. We'll start to get some, uh, TV spots and stuff, so, um... But yeah, so here we're on, we're guys, we're on the, we're on the way. We're, we're right at two months out and tickets have already gone on sale for this thing. So, uh, I know a lot of people are, are chasing, chasing down those tickets and trying to get them. Uh, Fandango, you would have thought that some of these sites would have learned, uh, after last time. Uh, but they, I don't think they did. Uh, I know Fandango had a queue system. Uh, last night when tickets went on sale and it, and it was even crashing a little bit here and there, which was unfortunate. It was kind of a kind of a bummer that that was the case. But I did get tickets. I'll be I didn't mean to, but I'll be going on the uh, I'll be headed there on, on the 14th and 15th. I'm going twice to see this thing. I'll be on there on the Thursday night, the 14th at 9:45, and then again Friday afternoon at 4:15. So and after that, who knows? 
Who knows? I, I, it's a weird place to be. I'm not as excited about Star Wars as I've always been. I think I may be suffering Star Wars fatigue, which is something I never thought would be possible. We'll talk more about that down the road. I hope everyone else is super excited, though. because I And the, and the reason I never really say stuff like that is because I don't want to rain on anyone's parade. It was just like with The Force Awakens. I My lack of enjoyment or lack of hype is no reflection on how I think you should feel. If you're excited, I'm excited that you're excited, and I hope that some of your excitement can rub off on me and that we can get it. But what I do find myself doing is the minute Star Wars gets brought up, I can't help but talk about it. So it's still there. It's not like it's gone. It's not like I don't like Star Wars. It's still there. There's still the passion. There's still the embers of Star Wars fire burning in me. But, um, but yeah, it, 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 it's just not as burning as blazing as brightly as once it did but hopefully this movie will change all that i'm really looking forward to seeing what they have in store for us um i will say this uh, this past sunday at church was our homecoming sunday which means in the old baptist world that we ate afterwards we had a potluck dinner and i was sitting there with a few people and one of the guys that's there young a young fella um younger adult guy i was talking to him i said i don't know if you knew this or not but tomorrow night on monday night football they're going to be the new trailer they're going to be debuting the new trailer for um star wars and he said really i said yeah and uh and and the only other people at this table were some women and and all kind of all a little bit older than me and um one actually senior adult lady and um (laughs) they started talking about star wars and they started talking about which ones they like and one was like yeah, they're playing them. They're playing them back to back on TNT this weekend. And this morning, while I was getting ready for church, they had Revenge of the Sith on. I'll just watch it while I was getting ready for church. And this was the oldest lady at the table. And I'm like, and I just looked at him and I said, "This is awesome." And the one woman said, "Why? Because women are talking about Star Wars." I'm like, "No, the fact that anyone is talking about Star Wars is just really fun and really great." So, look, it, it's a great time to be a geek. It's a great time to be into this stuff. And so, um, looking forward to it. Um, all right, that wraps us up on this episode of Geek Out Loud. I thank you all for joining me. Hey, don't turn off. Listen, for those of you who think that all this is is just wrap up information at the end, you never know what I'm going to stumble into. You never know. I, because I am so bad at what I do, you never know what kind of flub on a word or anything will cause me to mess up. So just hang with me. To the end, you may find something. You may get some fun information, or or uh, find out something that I'm stupid about. Uh, we'd love for you to hit us up on Twitter. We're at Geek Out Loud on the Twitter, or you can follow the entire Goloverse on Twitter at Goloverse. If you want to email me, and I'd appreciate your emails. Uh, I got to get back to where we're reading emails more on a regular basis, just like the old days. That email is geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. Hey, don't forget about Geek Out Online, where those. Uh, those Stranger Things Expedition blog posts, the chapters are going to start debuting this week. And you'll definitely want to read through those and check out some of the pictures we got. Myself and Steve Bennett and honorary team Steve member Shaz Bazaar. Uh, we we picked up uh, some great pictures and had a great time on the expedition. Coming up in just about a week and a half, Random Tops card reading Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom number 34. Crouching on the floor in a desperate attempt to save their lives, Indiana Jones and his sidekick Short Round. Search for an escape from the dreaded Spike Chamber. The card title is Indy Gets the Point, and it's Indian short round standing there as the spikes begin to rise from the floor and the ceiling. And you know this scene is one of my favorites in Indiana Jones history. 
where Indy looks through the <laughs> looks through the wall and says, "We are going to die." Like our Facebook group for the whole Goloverse. You can get there by going to geekoutonline.com slash group. It's the easiest way to get there. And hey, we've got Geek Out Loud shirts available right now. They're great for Christmas gifts. You can start ordering them and get and start doing some Christmas shopping for the geek in your life. Geekoutonline.com slash shirt or shirts. Hold on. See? This is the kind of stuff you don't get. The uh, geekoutonline.com shirts. I think it's shirts, plural. We'll find out, won't we? Sure will. Geekoutonline.com slash shirts, plural. We've got the classic Geek Out Loud shirts there. We've got the Return of the Jedi logo, uh, classic Return of the Jedi font logo done uh, for the Geek Out Loud. We've got our Rock Out Loud Multiverse Tour short shirt. And don't be confused. What you're seeing there in the display is back is the back of it. We, uh, but the front has the Rock Out Loud logo done up in the Def Leppard font. And the back has all the places in the multiverse we've been or want to be. There's the Mark Out Loud logo shirt there as well. Other shirts coming to the new Goliverse store. And you can get there by going to geekoutonline.com slash shirts. Our sponsor has been Tops. Rediscover card collecting. Rediscover Tops. Tops.com is where you can find out all the information about Tops. Or you can follow them at Tops on the Twitter and if you want to help the shows out, of course, you can do it directly through Patreon at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. And you can also uh, click on the links to Amazon, Entertainment Earth, Think Geek, Fandango. All those links can be found at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. Let's take it down a notch. The Big Honkin' Show is back in your podcast feed. I hope you're subscribed to The Big Honkin' Show. I hope you're subscribed to all the Goldiverse shows. You should be. It's fun times. Can't wait to be with you again, and we will be with you again sooner than you may think, as Eris Chernovitz will stop by to pass the corn for October 2017. Until then, I'm Steve Glosson. I hope you have a great whatever you're having. And we'll see you on the next Geek Out Loud.